Hey guys, welcome to episode 78 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we hope you're all doing well. And as always, we want to thank those who left reviews for the podcast. We really appreciate you guys doing that. And what we're trying to do, obviously, is get this podcast to grow. And really, the only way we can do that is with the help of you guys. So we would love it if you guys would spread the word about this podcast as much as you can. That's really the biggest thing that you could do for us. Like on social media, you can tag us in posts or like put us in your story. We always love when you guys do that and we repost it. But getting the word out is what helps the most. Yeah, it is. It really does help a lot. And honestly, without you guys, all of this and everything we do wouldn't even be possible. Exactly. So um, we would just love if you guys would do that. That would really help us out a lot. And of course, before we start this episode, we just wanted to say kind of a quick word about what's going on in the world right now and specifically our country. So we want all of our listeners to know that we stand behind them. Johnny and I have always and will always contribute to the funds and causes of the victims in this country and in others. I think the best way that I can contribute to this conversation in a positive way is just by saying that as a high school history teacher, for the past seven years, I can tell you that I've seen the future. It's passed through my classroom doors. And I can promise all of you that it is bright, it's inquisitive, it's inclusive, supportive, accepting, and empathetic. I teach my students not by telling them how to feel or what to think, but instead by giving them the proper tools that they need in their lives to seek knowledge and truth and to educate themselves on the world around them. I encourage them to participate in the world politically, economically, and socially. I teach them that my generation and theirs can never move forward without first acknowledging the past. And after all, it was Nelson Mandela that said, education is the most powerful weapon which we can use to change the world. And we are never done learning. And I think that's what this country that we love so much just needs to continue to do, is to learn. And that's really the message that we would want to send to our listeners and, you know, to all of our friends and family, too. Yeah, it's true. And well said. Okay. Thanks, John. Okay. So with that being said, we're going to get into our episode today. We're actually leaving the United States and we're going to your favorite. Australia. (laughs) If I can get on a plane right now and just take off and go with you, of course, I will. Thanks for including me. So we're going to go backpacking again and wander deep, deep into Adelaide. Oh, I almost forgot to tell you guys. Sorry. We have all of our Patreons to thank at the end of this episode. And there are so many of you that have joined the family. So we can't wait to name and thank you all. If you want to join our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. Each month, we release two episodes for those that donate $5 and above. And for those that donate $1 to $2, um, there's one episode a month extra. Last month, we released an episode on Colleen Stan, the woman who was held captive in a box for eight years. That was a difficult one to get through. And then we released an episode on Zachary Bernhardt, the eight-year-old boy who went missing from his unlocked apartment building in the middle of the night while his mother took a swim. That was a good one. That was. I was really happy with that one. So the episodes are always full length, over an hour. And oh, and of course, you'll get ad-free access to all of the True Crime Couple episodes if you donate $5 and above. Okay. So now I think I'm done with everything. <laughs> okay. So 
At the end of 2016, a 24-year-old girl from Belgium set out for a trip of a lifetime that was to start in New South Wales and end in South Australia. However, three months into her journey, she knew she would have to reach her worked hours in order to get a year's extension on her work visa to remain in the country. She had so much enjoyed her time and wanted to bask in the sun for as long as she possibly could. But it would be her search for a job that would lead her to a predator that she could have never foreseen meeting in Australia. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hewler is a quiet, peaceful place to live in the Belgian countryside. It was also home to a 24-year-old girl with some pretty serious wanderlust. Devine Arkins had gotten the travel bug three years previously when at 21 she had visited South Africa. Next, she went to Guatemala and then to China. So as soon as she returned home from China, she was already planning her next trip. It was her goal to work with animals for her future career. But before pursuing schooling for that, she wanted to set out on one more adventure. And this was going to be her biggest one yet. She was going to go to Australia. The best place on earth. <laughs> I also want to just put this out there. A uh, quick little story. Really short. Um, I delivered to a gentleman at a construction site. He's from South Africa. And he was telling me this story about how he gets so aggravated that people think he's Australian. Because, like, of his accent. The accents are similar. The accents are, I guess, similar. I don't agree because, you know, I can... I can my just... my theory is South African. Yours is Australian. Of course. Of course so... it's South African. I mean, of course mine is Australian. I know. But um, anyway, <laughs> he would tell me how mad he would get. And then, like, he uh, he always says goodbye with cheers. So I started saying cheers back to him. And then I wow, started... that's service. Yeah, it is service. But I started doing it to other people by accident. <laughs> and then when I would arrive, they would like, I could tell that they were thinking to themselves, well, why did he say cheers? Yeah, like, like this, this, this guy's, guy's from, a weirdo. This guy's from like the city. Well, what the hell? <laughs> so it was just funny. But I, the guy is so awesome. So shout out to that guy. If he's listening. If he's listening. <laughs> so Devine, like most backpackers, was able to obtain a one-year working visa into the country towards the end of 2016. She was excited to finally go to the beautiful lands of Australia. She was not fearful of her travels or the people, because in all the travel blogs, she read how amazing, friendly, and accommodating the people of Australia were. She read that the travelers from all over the world were wonderful people who were always up for an adventure. So it does have a big backpacking community, and from what you read, it's so welcoming and accepting. So she felt very safe going into this. So, of course, this was easy for Devine to believe because she had had similar experiences in all of her other travels. Like, she never had a negative experience when she was in South Africa, Guatemala, or in China. She actually met a lot of her friends that she still has to this day from her trip in China. So, she recalled that the thing she was most worried about, though, was the dangerous animals. And that is something that Australia has plenty of. So, that was her biggest fear going into the traveling. I can't disagree with her there. Yeah. So the first three months of her travels were the most fun she had ever had. She began her trip in Sydney and then headed to Melbourne. Next, she went to Tasmania. And sometime in her travels, she had been able to visit Lake Hillier, 
which I'm so jealous about because that's one place I would love to go. That's the lake that's completely pink because of the microorganisms in it. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. Um, I know that it is kind of like a nature preserve, so I think you have to have special permission to go there. So she must have organized it with other travelers. But it is really cool. She has a lot of pictures of herself there. And it's right after she visits that place that Devin realized that she had to clock some hours on her work visa in order to continue paying for her travels first, to keep her visa period, and possibly have it extended for a whole nother year. So the way that the work visas work is that you have to complete a certain amount of worked hours. And if you work longer than that, or you have extended employment, then you could possibly extend your visa for an entire year. And because Devine was having so much fun, she knew that she wanted to spend two years in Australia. That's awesome. That is really cool. So she wanted to work in Adelaide, and this is where there were farms. As working with animals was one of the best skills she had, and it was going to prepare her for her future where she wanted to work with animals. So it was really kind of like the best bet for her. She knew that there would be more opportunity to work than in the highly populated areas where most backpackers stayed, where there weren't a lot of farms. So to find her job, she did what most travelers did. She turned to the internet. She used the website called Gumtree to place an ad listing her skills and her need for employment. So if you're unaware of what Gumtree is, it's very similar to Craigslist. And it's known to be used by a lot of world travelers to kind of seek employment or post ads that they need to have employment. Weeks had passed and Devine was beginning to get desperate for a job. Just when she thought her luck was up, she received a response on Gumtree. She had a message in her inbox that read, Would you be interested in rearing baby calves on a farm two and a half hours away from Adelaide? Devine could not have been more excited. Not only was she being offered a job, but it had to do with what she loved, taking care of animals. So excited, she inquired further about the job. The man responded to her again, saying, My name is Max, and we will be working on one of many farms in South Australia owned by a company called Genesis Incorporated, which he said hired a lot of migrant workers like herself. So it seems pretty legit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, on paper, well, I say on paper, but on the uh, from a computer screen, yeah, absolutely. And by talking to that person, for right. sure. Because this seems like something that could help her in the future, because if this is kind of like a network of farms that work together, even after employment might be done at one farm, she could possibly move on to another farm that they're associated with. Yeah, no, that's true. So Devine asked if there was anyone else working at the farm at the time. The man, Max, said that there had been a French girl who was working there, but she had to leave for her next leg of her travels. So Devine admitted that hearing this information made her feel better. Others had worked there and liked it enough to stay for a while. So she decided to take the job. She reached out to a fellow friend she had who was also traveling abroad in Australia as well. Echo Wang was a girl around her own age. Um, she had met her while she was traveling in China three years prior, and the two had always stayed really close. The two actually planned to meet up later on their travels throughout the country, but they were kind of like doing their own things in the beginning, and they were going to meet up right before they both decided to head back home. At the moment, Echo had a job picking fruit in far north Queensland, which is far away from South Australia. So they're in two completely different places in the country. She told Devine that she was happy that she had found a job that she knew she needed one pretty desperately. So this worked out just in the nick of time. But little did both girls know 
that it was not a man named Max that Tavine had spoken to, but a man named Jean Charles Bristow, a hobby farmer who had sinister plans. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Bristow had been planning for years up until that point to kidnap a backpacker and to hold them as a sex slave. He had kept these fantasies private from all close to him, and his crimes would shock his family and the town that he was from. On February 9th, 2017, the morning after Devine had spoken to her friend Echo, she had checked out of her hostel and was waiting at a bus stop. This was the first time in her three months in Australia that she was going somewhere or traveling alone. She thought that this time it would be okay because commuting to a job would have been difficult to take someone with her on you know what i mean yeah i mean it's not like you could put your friend in your backpack or you and know, then send and, them back yeah, right exactly right and she did feel like there were other she was given the impression that other travelers were there so she felt safe going there right the man that would be her employer max told her that the best way to get to the farm would be for her to take a bus from the location of her hostel to murray bridge he told her that he would pick her up from there and drive her to the farm She was in central Adelaide, so the bus drive to Murray's Bridge was just under an hour. When she got off the bus, true to his word, Max was waiting for her. He told her that she would know it was him because he'd be waiting near a red pickup truck. When Devine first saw the man, she thought everything was normal. He looked like a farmer. He was wearing plain working clothes and just looked like a regular, hardworking, normal man. He helped her put her bags in the truck and told her that they better start going because the drive to the farm was at least two hours away. That's pretty far. It is a far drive. So that's going to make her feel that she's going into an isolated area. Right. By herself. Right. So during the drive, he was chatty and friendly, which, of course, is going to put her at ease. The journey was a long one. They drove through long, isolated roads and had to use two ferry crossings to get to where they were going. But finally, they had made it to the gates of the farm. Devine had been confused as to how far they were from Murray Bridge, um, especially because the ferry crossings were slightly unsettling, especially because the ferry crossings were slightly disorienting because you never know, like, where you're ending up after your car goes across a ferry. So, especially when you're unfamiliar with the area. So she was really unsure of where she was. Instead of like, if you're just going one direction, you're like, okay, I headed south for two hours. She was unaware of the path Okay, that was being taken. Once they passed the first fence into the farm, they had to go through a second one. So she really got the idea that this was an isolated and pretty secure area. As they were driving, the man that she thought was named Max explained to her what her role on the farm would be and where everything was. So like he was pointing things out saying, this is where the animals stay or this is where you're going to do this. So he was continuing to tell her about the job even while they were at the farm. Which would make you feel comfortable in a sense because you're just going over your duties, what you're going to do. So it's like you're there for that reason. That's it. Everything seems okay. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that his plan is to definitely keep her at ease for as long as possible. So they finally got to a paddock, and he told her that this is where she would be feeding the baby calves. He told her that they should go check out the paddock and the barn that was near it. So Devine followed him out of the truck and walked into the paddock. It was filthy inside. There were animal feces and hay everywhere. The flies were in abundance, and Devine noticed that there was a 
kind of like a sofa mattress kind of type thing and a refrigerator in the far corner that looked like it was out of service. He told her that in the past he had had some issues with travelers who were into drugs and that it had worked out horribly. He had lost a lot of money and one man even had stolen from him. So before her employment was to continue, he would need to make sure that she was not a drug user. So he asked her if she could show him her arms and her legs. He wanted to see if there were any track marks there. So, of course, she's going to allow him to do this. It's not something that's totally out of the ordinary when backpackers seek jobs somewhere. So she showed him her arms and her legs and there were no track marks. So he was pleased. And, of course, the man was like jovial and kind of like apologetic about it. Like, hey, sorry, I have to do this. So she was still completely calm. And just when Devine thought the search of her body was over, he told her that there was another place that users inject, sometimes the bottom of their feet and in between their toes. So the track marks are not visible, especially when they're seeking employment. So he asked her if she could take off her socks and shoes. So yeah, guys, things are getting weird for us too. That is very strange. I I mean, it's starting to escalate being a little weird here because it's one thing to ask, hey, show me your arms and your legs. Yes. And it's not like your feet are like uh, a private part or anything, but it just, it is bizarre though. It's a little weird. To go that far. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So plus people are like, there are people that are weirdly into feet. So that's true. It is what it is. That's true. I would say there's a high percentage of women in the world that have had men approach them about their feet. Like it happens. Yeah, listen, so, you know, if you're into that, that's fine. I, I'm not going to... If you're into it, that's totally cool. But while I'm waiting in line at PacSun, like, don't ask me if you could take a picture of my feet. PacSun? Oh, like, my God. Like, that's weird. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't heard that story in so long. I know. Okay. That was years ago. So, that's my foot story. Max... <laughs> Sorry. It was... So... And it's uncomfortable. Like, I felt, like, weirdly foot violated. Okay. I mean, you have the right to I, feel that way. I should be able to wear flip-flops without worry. <laughs> you should be allowed to do that. Yes. Okay. So Max asked her to lay flat on her stomach. That's weird. Wait, what? So he wants to inspect her feet, like the bottom of her feet and in between her toes. But in order to do that, he asked her to lay flat on the sofa mattress and like bend her legs so her feet are up in the air. Right, right. And he's going to search the bottom of her feet and in between her toes. That's very bizarre. I don't like it. Yes. An employer should never be asking you to lay flat on your back so they can look at your toes. Back or stomach? Stomach. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Very weird. And it also renders her helpless. It's That's very true. hard to fight back when you're in that position. Yep. So suddenly then while she thinks he's just looking at her feet, he is going to put all of his weight on top of her and he kind of like jumps on her and he's a bigger man. So this is a lot of pressure being put on her body and she starts to scream and fight and he's trying to pull her arms behind her back and she's trying to struggle and get away from him. Now, Devine felt like she was pretty strong and that if it came down to it, she could get away from this man because she was a lot she was a lot better in better physical shape than he was. So okay. she thought, okay, I still have this chance, but I have to fight him off of me in order to get away. But it's then that he's going to put something against her back and she feels it. It's cold. And then that's when he tells her, I have a gun. And that if she doesn't stop moving, he was going to shoot her. So she did not want to die in that way and you know as 
being a world traveler, you do kind of try to learn ways in which you can survive situations that you may, God forbid, be put in. And they do say that sometimes it's best to to not fight and then find a good time and situation to try and leave versus fighting the whole time and getting yourself shot. Right. That's true. So that was the tactic that Devine was taking. So she kind of stopped fighting and allowed him to restrain her because she didn't want her life to end. At first, Bristow used cable ties on Devine's wrist and then later chains to shackle her legs and her arms. Once she was restrained and completely helpless, Bristow sexually abused and raped her. Once he had finished, he threatened to kill her again if she gave him any more trouble. While he was checking the paddock for anything she could use to free herself, he laid out some rules for her. If you act up in any way, you will regret it, he said. You are also to always be undressed for me. Whenever I come in, you have to have no clothes on. If you run away, I will find you. We are in the middle of nowhere, and I know this area better than you do. So to add to the physical threat, he continued to play mind games with her. He told her that he was a member of a large, far-reaching, and elaborate gang that trafficked young women. He used a tactic that many captors do. They tell their victims that they're part of a larger organization, And this is done for a few reasons. It makes the victim think, well, things could be worse. He could be sending me to people that would treat me worse, hurt me, and maybe even kill me. So that makes a victim think, I should behave because the devil I know is better than the devil I don't. It's that kind of mindset. It also adds to the victim's overwhelming sense of dread and the idea that this servitude cannot be escaped. So even if they try to leave... They're going to be pulled back in because this organization is is bigger and more far-reaching than any help they could ever seek to have. And this is something that we saw with the other case that we did. Yeah, we've seen that a couple times, actually, at least twice, where we've seen some form of intimidation and like mind games being conducted because, I mean, that's the only way you're able to keep someone completely, to keep your control and to keep them pushed down without having to, like, always monitor them, I guess. Right. Because you would have to to make sure they don't escape. But yet, if you play these mind games, they really, they're, like, almost frozen. It's like they don't know what to do. So. Right. It's scary because you think it's scary because Bristow's going to tell her that he's part of this organization and that they're not only watching him, but they're watching her. And that there's this boss who was there to approve girls. And then once they were approved, they were shipped to Sydney or to Melbourne for prostitution. And that if she behaved, she could stay with him. So like he's saying, I'm the better option here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he also tells her that in order for this organization to even exist, that the police are involved and getting a lot of money for allowing them to exist. So now she's like, now don't forget She is in a foreign country. And even though world travelers, backpackers may have a lot of knowledge about the countries they're going to, any type of foreign law enforcement or court system or social organization is new to somebody. She's from Belgium. So she really doesn't know the hierarchy that exists within Australia. And what if the police are corrupt? She doesn't know. Yeah, it's true. It's hard to know. How would you know? So that's exactly how she felt like she would, if she did anything, be taken by somebody else or somebody that was going to do something worse to her. And 
he told her that there was no hope, that she was now gone forever. And she did feel like that. Like she lost everything. She had no clothes, no freedom, no family, no hope. It's pretty depressing, (laughs) you know, just to listen to. Yeah, it's a bleak situation to be in. So as Devine lay in complete darkness within the paddock, she thought in desperation that no one would even know she was in trouble. So she knew she had one chance of reaching someone for help. She had been lucky. Bristow did not check her bag, which she was in reach of because at this point she only had one arm and one leg shackled. So she really could get around the paddock pretty well. She just had to get to it because that was where her laptop was and a Wi-Fi stick. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bristow's making a lot of mistakes here. Well, it kind of shows it, it's it's possible that this is maybe his first time doing this because he doesn't he hasn't really gone over like his um, crazy psychotic checklist yet. You're right. I don't even think he has. I think he has like a half ass crazy psychotic checklist because he it's like he's trying to do things one way, but like he's always falling short. And we see this a lot with first time offenders. You're right. And some people put into question like, oh, how many times has he done this before? And I don't think he's done this before because of all the mistakes we're going to see him yeah i think make. it's just too focused on the control aspect and his fantasies that he's not even making sure that it's done properly at all exactly so, so hours later bristow is going to come back and he only goes into the refrigerator it seemed that he had forgotten to check that item for anything that could be used to hold something that's going to help her get the chains off So he like checked the whole paddock but forgot the refrigerator. So he's going back to check. And then he screws up again because he checks the refrigerator and he thinks he doesn't see anything. But Devine is going to notice these tiny metal hooks at the bottom of the refrigerator that she is thinking in her head, I could use these to like pick the lock of the shackle. Okay. He doesn't think they're a threat, but she sees them as something she could use. And he leaves them in there. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that's, too, we're going to find out later that the shackles that are made for her are a custom job. Like, they were originally made for animals, and then he changed them to make them have human use. So that first shows how sick he is. But second, now he's confident in what he had made. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Too much confidence in what he created that they're going to fail on him. Exactly. Which just shows another shoddy job and a shoddy attempt into doing everything that he's trying to do here. It's just it's just a shit job. Yes, <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? So after waiting a few minutes, Devine is going to make her move. She went to the refrigerator and pulled out a tiny hook. It was going to be difficult. It appeared that Bristow had tightened the shackles as tight as they could be. And she did see the welding to the shackles. So it was clear that he had made these himself. She placed the pin in the shackle and twisted and twisted until the shackle on her leg came off. Devine was so relieved it was working. However, it did take several minutes, which felt like hours for her to remove the shackle from her arm. But finally, she was able to. She ran to her backpack and fired up her computer. She turned on the Wi-Fi stick and it was working. She was online. Wow, that's awesome. She's like MacGyver right now. Yeah, she is really, I mean, she is thinking. She's not letting that overwhelming sense of dread that I think he was trying to lay on her take over her. Yeah. 
So she made sure to lower the brightness of the computer and she worked as fast as she could. She did not know if Bristow was going to come back. So she hadn't even seen where he was staying. So that was pretty difficult because she's thinking, is he far away? Or is he so close that he could possibly see the glow of the the light from the computer? That's true. And it's actually smart that she even thought that way to begin with. To lower the brightness. To lower the brightness. Because, you know, I mean, you are in a dark uh, paddock. Oh, yeah. It's complete blackness in there. so. So the whole time she was shaking with fear. She logged into her computer and sent messages to all of her contacts on her social media that were online. Her messages were short, quick, frantic. And terrifying. They read, Please look for me. I've been kidnapped in South Australia. I'm scared to run away. He will chase me down and shoot me. Help me. I've been kidnapped. Somewhere in Murray Bridge. On Cow Farm. Drove two hours. Crossed two ferries. Please come. On farm somewhere. He drives a red pickup truck. He has a gun. Will shoot me. Please contact police and mum. Please, please. I'm so afraid. And all those messages were just like rapid fire all separately because she never knew when she was going to be disconnected or when he was going to come in. Right. So imagine being online in the middle of the night and those are messages that you're receiving from a friend. You know, it's kind of funny. Well, not funny, but, you know, um, when you see those messages, right, you wouldn't know whether or not to take it serious or really act on it. Or if someone's joking. Or yeah, like if someone's like if someone's messing around. So I mean I would totally be inclined to make make good on that. You know, like I would probably most likely, you know, inquire about it. Be like, hey, are you messing around with me? And right. if I got no response, um, then I probably would do something. I mean Well, if you think about it, it's it's all situational, right? You know that she is traveling in South Australia, so she's in a strange land that she really doesn't truly know too much about so that would make me think oh my god this is real but if it's someone that you know is always messing around that's true but then that's why you should never cry wolf another true statement you should never do that (laughs) you never know when you're gonna be um you know chained up in a in a barn in a paddock and really actually need help right so finally her friend echo sees devine's frantic messages and replies where are you can you open up google maps Devine tells her that she's on her computer and not her phone, so it won't be that easy, especially because her signal is weak. So this is hard for Echo, too, because she's also a foreigner in Australia and is very familiar with South Australia, as to that point, she had only made it to Queensland so far. So she really was unfamiliar with the terrain, too. So by her saying, like, I'm at Murray Bridge, I drove two hours, she has no clue where her friend may be. But she did know that her friend was desperate. So she told her to calm down and not to worry. You will be safe, she promised Devine. And that was when the kidnapped woman lost service completely. So that was the last message she ever received. Wow. But at least you know that this person's going to try. Right. You reach somebody. So you're like, okay, somebody saw that. Right. And it is good because she was reaching out through like Facebook Messenger. So you know those messages are going to be there for all the people that you messaged that were online. That's true. So she did have that feeling, which I'm sure was overwhelming relief that, hey, the message is at least out that I'm missing. So the search can start now and not two weeks from now. That's true. Yeah. And at this point, really, all she has to do is just buy herself some time. Exactly. 
So Devin, terrified about Bristow coming back, put the computer and Wi-Fi stick back into her backpack and placed the bag in the same position it was in before she had moved it. She then made the decision to chain herself back up. She did not want her captor to know she knew how to get out. She would have to pick a better time to run if she was going to do so. She was terrified to run. She knew she was in complete isolation, and even if she did get out, she believed the police were involved in the human trafficking ring, and the organization was watching her. She was truly a stranger in a strange land. So Devine chose to play it safe that night. See, it's... See, I think that that's a good idea, too, because she doesn't know how close her captor is staying to where she's being kept. So he may be staying somewhere where he will see her if she tries to make a run for it out of the paddock. So I think what she's thinking is, I need to learn a lot more information before I can make my attempt to run. Not to mention, she really, like, she, and she, I believe she did mention it, she only has one shot. Because if she tries to escape early not knowing the terrain and not knowing what's going on outside there, she might not get another shot because he might put her somewhere else or he might make it harder for her to escape. Exactly. And all these things become other obstacles to try to escape. Right. And right now she knows the way she's being kept, she can get out of. Right. But if only Devine knew that Bristow had planned and lied about it all, she could have made a run for it that night. It turned out that when Bristow picked up the young traveler from the bus station at Murray Bridge, he could have traveled south through the main roads along the east side of Lake Albert. That ride would have taken one hour from Murray Bridge to the farm. However, to disorient Devine and make her think that she was further away from a main town, he took the long way all around Lake Albert, like all around the west side of the lake, which took two hours, two ferry connections, all the way to his hobby farm in Meningi. I mean, that's probably the only smart thing that he did was to try to disorient her because she's unfamiliar with the with the with the area. Right, and opposed to that one hour ride, this ride's going to take two hours. Right, and remember that's the ride that she described to her online friends. And in her pleas for help. So this is going to even disorient the police. When people start contacting the police, they're going to think she's two hours away from Murray Bridge. Okay, so they're looking in other places than where, you know, where she actually is. Well, it's going to make things a lot harder to find her. Right, yeah. In fact, Devine was just over one kilometer away from a center of town, Meningi. And... She was just 300 meters away from her captor's house, where he was living with his wife, son, and his son's girlfriend, all of whom knew nothing about his sadistic secret. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. Right? Okay, guys, let's get back to the show. So Echo was nervous to contact police, as she had no idea how they were going to respond to her I mean, this is kind of like a bizarre story, a plea for help via Facebook Messenger. And even though she was nervous to contact police, she was a little bit more terrified for her friend and wanted to get her help. So she's going to call as soon as Devine loses connection and she can't contact her anymore. The authorities in South Australia sprang into action within minutes. A large part of Australia's economy, of course, relies on tourism. So keeping the country safe for travelers and citizens alike is extremely important. 
Side note, there's also some serious Ivan Milat slash Wolf Creek vibes. So they're like, we have to take this down as soon as possible. (laughs) That's funny. Because you don't know if someone's done this before, right? I mean, this is a ballsy move. So this could be a serial killer. And, And, you know, it's the perfect target, too. Because you think about people who come here, right? Come even to the United States. It's the same thing anywhere else. These are easy people to get by themselves if they're not prepared. You know what I mean? And now they're controllable. They don't know the land. They don't know the rules. They might not know the processes of what goes on on a day-to-day type of people that are here. You know what I mean? Like you don't know. These people are truly vulnerable because they don't, they're, first of all, they're desperate to find work and to stay in the country. But then also because, like you said, there's not a big, strong understanding of processes. So by this time, Devine's family also saw messages. So by this time, Devine's family also saw the messages and they contacted the police as well. Within 10 minutes, the police were triangulating the signal of Devine's cell phone. It turned out that Bristow had made another mistake. The entire time he thought he was taking his long route that was going to disorient his victim, he didn't realize that Devine's phone had been on and it was issuing a signal. So even though he took the long way around, the police were able to find out the route that he took. They thought, okay, this is a weird route to get from Murray Bridge to Meningi, but he did. He took a really weird route. This is where he is. He's in Meningi, so we need to make sure that we search this area. And law enforcement knew they needed to work fast. For all they knew, Devine's captor was planning on ending her life. So time was of the essence, and they first issue a press conference where an investigator is going to make a statement to Devine saying, we know you're missing and we're looking for you. And then they make a statement to the captor, we're going to find you. So the town of Meningi is a quiet town. So when the police chose to hold a major ground and air search of the area, it caused a lot of chaos. The night before, as Devine lied chained up again, she was nervous about what Bristow had in store for her. But she did feel slightly better because at least now the police knew she was missing and that something was wrong. She knew she talked to Echo and she knew she could count on her to call the police. She just hoped that she had given enough information to lead them to her. So because the police sprung into action right away, and it was even before the press conference that was issued the next morning, they started that air search at night because they wanted to get like a good feel for the area and find, they were trying to look for a red truck was really what they were trying to do. So Devine is going to be woken up in the middle of the night because she's going to hear airplanes overhead. And she remembered having this like fantasy of, Maybe they have infrared technology and they could see through the roof of the paddock that there's a human in here. Like that was just her like desperate fantasy of being rescued because that's where her mind was at. Like you have to have fantasies of being rescued in order to get you through the difficult situation. That's true. I mean, you know, unfortunately they don't have infrared, but you have to think though. They've already tried, they're trying to triangulate where her last whereabouts were when her phone was on. Yes. They already have pinpointed that it's on a farm. Yeah. Based on the messages, right? They know that it's in the town somewhere. Red truck. Red truck. So all those things together kind of makes this larger area seem a lot smaller. Oh, 100%. 
So the next morning, Devine heard the same planes flying above, as did the rest of the residents of Meningi. As Devine hoped they were there for her, the rest were terrified to think that the missing backpacker could be hidden somewhere among them. I mean, you got to think, too, you're, this is all over the news. Missing backpacker has been kidnapped. She sent these desperate messages via Facebook. Her family has flown in from Belgium to try and find her. And you're like, oh, my God, she's somewhere in this town. One of us yeah. is the that guy. Yep. Word of the searches and the sounds of the planes made Gene Bristow panic. He was unaware that a plane had spotted his red pickup truck. The officer in the air noted that it was the same one that was described by Devine in her frantic messages. It was parked beneath a tree next to a ramshackle shed. Those in the helicopter saw Bristow get into the truck and drive towards the direction of town. The patrol on the ground were made aware that he was headed in their direction. So they're going to pull Bristow over. They gathered his information and another officer who pulled up to the scene after the first officer had pulled him over is going to snap a picture of the first officer talking to Jean Bristow. And this was completely normal. They were doing this to everyone they saw in a red pickup truck in the area. They were taking down their information where they lived and snapping a picture for later. So they did search his truck. There was nothing in there. So there was like no evidence. So they couldn't hold Bristow. So they like let him go. Okay. And he didn't know this, but this was just a routine stop that they were doing to everybody in red pickup truck. But it's going to rattle him because he thinks they're on to me. So he drove back to the paddock in which he kept Devine. And she was terrified because the first time he had subdued her, he raped her. And then when he he'd come back a second time and raped her. So when the door opened... She panicked because she thought she was going to be attacked again. But instead, he was yelling at her that there were police everywhere. And he took her shackles off and told her to put her clothes back on. He threw all of her things at her and ordered her to follow him. He also reminded her that he had a gun, so to not try anything. He was running in a panic back to his red pickup truck. And she was running to try and keep up with him, terrified as to what might happen. Like, is this guy going to kill me and then kill himself? Like, she didn't know what was happening. So Devine remembered that he was obsessively looking up at the sky, paranoid that the police air support had followed him home. Once they reached his truck, he ordered her into the back seat and he drove her to Murray Bridge. This time, he obviously took the faster, more direct route to get there. And when there, he dropped Devine off at a motel. He checked her in for the night. His instructions were for her to lay low until the next day. She was then to take a bus to the airport and fly directly home to Belgium and say that it was all a joke. She agreed. He reminded her about the human trafficking organization and that they would be watching her. And that the only reason they're letting her go is because of all the heat that they had on them. Otherwise, they would have kept her. But his parting words were, Remember, we can always take you again, so keep your mouth shut. Trying with these tactics, but I just, I get the feeling that she doesn't really 100% believe him. Only because, I'm I'm talking at this point, because if that was the case, then why are you in such a frantic state and you're trying to move her? Right, why are you running from the police if they're working with you? Right, exactly. So like, 
everything that he said is probably bullshit at this point. Well, we know is bullshit, but we, for her, yes, for her, I mean, you got to know this is probably bullshit. I mean, I'm sure there is a, a a little bit of fear there, but I think that she knows something must be going on. Something's happening. I think she's still scared, and she we're gonna see later that she does think that there's still this human trafficking organization. Okay, but I think she's just agreeing to any. I mean, oh, you're gonna leave me alone in a hotel room? Like, yes, yes, I'll agree to anything you say. That's true. So terrified, Devine sat quietly in her motel room. She was so scared to leave the room, but she was starving. Because at this point, she hadn't eaten in over 48 hours. She figured getting something to eat would be okay. So she went in search of food with the little money that she had. She was jittery and kept looking over her shoulder for this organization that she thought was watching her. While outside the motel, she was spotted by an off-duty police officer that noticed her from a picture that was issued out by his department. He called in his suspicion, and within minutes, there were more than 10 police cars pulling up to the scene. Devine was terrified. She thought that she was being recaptured, and that this time it was by the organization. At first, she didn't say a word. As she was ushered into the car, she was shaking uncontrollably. She knew the officers were trying to console her, but she didn't know what was going to happen. And it wasn't until she was brought to the police station and she was able to talk to her family that she felt at ease and began telling the investigators what had happened to her. Now, back at home in Meningi, Bristow was spiraling out of control. As soon as he got back from dropping Devine off at Murray Bridge, he raced back to his home where he shaved his head and began disposing of all the evidence in the paddock. So after Devine was... See, I think that also shows how little he knows about what he's trying to get away with. That just because you're shaving your head, like, doesn't mean the police are going to say, oh, well, this man's got a shaved head, so any hair we find doesn't really make sense. Like, they're not going to think that, buddy. I think he's just pulling... He's just grasping for anything he can. So after Devine was united with her family that, like we said, had flown, as soon as they heard about her disappearance, the first thing they do is take a flight to Australia. She was shown photographs of all of the men that were pulled over that had red pickup trucks. So that was a really smart thing to do, to take pictures of the men. And she was quickly able to identify 54-year-old Jean Charles Bristow. The police obtained the proper warrants and raided Bristow's hobby farm early the next morning to the shock of the rest of his family. During the raid, there was an overwhelming body of evidence collected from the barn and paddock in which Devine was held. The chains that were used to shackle the young girl with her DNA on them were found in the paddock. Her cell phone was found in the property's water tank. He was trying to get rid of it in his own water tank. And a fake gun, which was bought on eBay. Oh my God. It wasn't even real. Yeah, that's sad. So there was also DNA evidence, um, both from Devine and Bristow, that was found in the paddock. Upon further investigation, the chains that were used to hold Devine were custom made by Bristow. Um, better to hold a human and not an animal. Oh, it's so sick. It is sick. Gene Bristow had always been close with his son, David. However, after this event, David claimed that he could no longer love his father, as David was actually only um, a few years separated from the age that Devine was. He was disgusted by many things the man who raised him did. The making of the chains, 
the planning and deliberate routes, the attack and rape of a young woman. But what he is most disgusted with was the fact that while all this was happening, he acted as if nothing was wrong. The family had no clue. I mean, that's pretty bad. Don't get me wrong. Like, he said there was no change in his father's behavior. So that's what's scary. I mean, it is scary because you truly don't know somebody. And and this just, this really proves that, you know, when people say that, like, you really truly don't know the person that you might be with. You don't know. Right. So, like, we do have a lot of, like, children or spouses of these murderers. And sometimes you don't know because if someone can live a double life and they're so good at it, right, like a psychopath, then that is what they do. They're good at leading a double life. And I think Bristow had that down. It was just his first attempt. And thank God he met such a strong adversary. Yeah, because if you have to look at it this way, I mean, there was a po- there was a possibility that there could have been others. Yeah. And, and then his plan would have gotten like way more involved. Right. And that's what his son is going to say. His son says this leaves a lot of unanswered questions for him. Like, were there more? And if my father would have gotten away with this kidnapping, what would the future have held? So David and his girlfriend claim that Bristow has taken no responsibility for what has taken place and that the man has changed his story many times. At first, he claimed that Devine had never been to the property. And then he said that he had to hire her because David was too lazy to work. It was that second story that would be the crux of Bristow's defense in his court case that was held in 2019. He was trying to claim that he had hired Devine to work on the farm, but the attack, rapes, captivity, and mentions of human trafficking organizations were all a figment of her were all a figment of her imagination. In fact, Bristow's attorney claimed that Devine was doing this all for money. See, this is the thing, right? I understand there's a court system and there are things that need to, you know, processes which need to go through and everything. Right. Someone needs to be defended. And someone needs to be defended. I get it. Totally. But to make that be the bread and butter of your defense is actually insulting and just absolute utter bullshit. Because you're going to sit there and tell me that her, that the handcuffs have her DNA on it because she's out of her mind, that she's doing it for money. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like that whole thing is just absolute BS. Right, you made shackles that could hold a human being. Like, there's welds on it because you made it. You created these shackles. You welded them. So, like, just to handle a person. So, I don't think at all that um, she's crazy or doing this for money or anything is from her imagination. Well, this is usually what takes place when there's ever a defense case built up, like, when a man is being accused of rape or attack of a woman, is that it then gets put on that woman and then now her character is being called into question and so this is it's very commonplace for defense of in a rape and kidnapping trial no it's true but i just find that so crazy sometimes you know like no it's infuriating it is yeah it is so david is actually going to choose to testify against his father he claimed that this normal behavior during the events of the kidnapping and abuse had blown his mind and were terrifying. He also claimed that his father never discussed hiring a traveler to help them, whether it was on the hobby farm or on their property. 
And that was a big claim in his defense. Like he said, oh, I talked to my family about hiring someone. And David said, no, you never talked to us about it. And then you never told us that you hired somebody. So after this, David said that he completely severed his relationship with his father. Devine also faced Bristow in court. She remembered seeing him and thinking, wow, like this is what you look like now. Because while in prison, Bristow had lost a significant amount of weight, and during his trial, he looked really sickly. Devine said she remembered thinking, this is exactly what you deserve to look like now, with all of your strength gone. She testified bravely about everything that had happened to her, while staring her attacker down. At the end of the trial in May of 2019, Jean Bristow was sentenced to 18 years in prison. He will not be eligible for parole until 2032. If by any chance he does get out of prison before his life ends, he will be deported back to his country of origin, England. Devine, with her strength and intelligence, was able to save herself from a horrific fate at the hands of a depraved man. And she may have saved other girls, because after that, Bristow may have preyed on others as well. But so much of Devine was taken that day in early February, in the paddock. She had such a zest for life and traveled with a fearless hunger to take on the unknown and beautiful lands of the world. But after the attack, she said it was difficult for her to even walk her dog alone, that she needed someone to be with her. But as we know, she's a fighter, and she's working hard every day to relearn life by taking small steps in self-defense classes, and I am pretty confident that she's going to regain the girl that she once was. Yeah, I mean you have to you have to really commend her on her bravery. Oh, and yeah. her willingness to fight back, you know. Um and you know, unfortunately, whether you're a woman, man, when something like this happens, right? I mean, I mean, it's normal for any person to kind of um re- uh, retract or go backwards. You yeah. know, you're you're afraid of what the outside world it's has like to offer. Post traumatic stress. Yeah, you know, it's like uh your whole world just changes and like it's hard to be optimistic and it's hard to look at things the way you used to. The way you used to. So, I commend her on her bravery and just the fact that she was able to come back from that. I know, I completely agree. So, this is a story that We like to tell when the victim is able to overtake their captor, outsmart them. And I am so glad that Bristow will never be allowed to hurt another woman ever again. Yeah, absolutely. And Australia's like, get out of here. Go back to England. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, so now we want to take the time at the end of this episode to thank our Patreons. After our last episode in May, we actually had a few Patreons that were left over from May because they joined um, after our last episode in the ending of the month. So here are the rest of our May Patreons. There's Heather Shelby, Virginia Merrill, Six Sensical Tarot, Kim Johnson, Zelda Anderson, Sasha Pham, Roseanne Keen upped her pledge to $5, Kaylee Burke, Michelle Reinhardt Stanton, Lindsay Boyle upped her pledge to $5, and so did Karen Gratiallo. Dawn White is contributing $20. Thanks, Dawn. That is so awesome. And Rachel upped her pledge to $5 as well. And our new Patreon so far for the month of June, that's Peggy DeVito, Hope Rose, Shannon Spiller, Hannah Braun, Timothy Brown, Melanie Brandy edited her pledge to $5, Mary Ellen Bueller, 
Hannah Nowling, Fernanda Asaguera, and Katie Packer. Guys, thanks so much for being a part of the Patreon family, and we hope you're enjoying those 25 new episodes that you got and all of the extra perks that are coming your way. And guys, one more thing before we go. We just wanted to tell you about an amazing podcast that is based out of Scotland. I really enjoyed listening, and I love the host's accent. As he goes into great detail telling true crime stories that prove evil does walk among us. We are going to leave you with a clip from the Skinwalker podcast from a recent episode that was done on Bible John, which is one of my favorite Scottish cases. All right, so we hope you enjoyed the clip. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Helen Puttock kisses her two children goodbye as she heads off to spend the night dancing at Glasgow's Barrowland Ballroom. Whilst there, she meets a young handsome man by the name of John. Throughout their conversation, John inexplicably quotes from the Bible. The following morning, Helen's body is discovered, strangled by the very stocking she had worn the night previous. The man responsible. We are talking about one Bible John. This is a Bible John. Bible John. For this and other cases like it, I'm Jess. And this is Skinwalker. Search for Skinwalker True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.